0: Log
1: Talk Radio. Hello there. This is President George W. Bush, <laughs> telling you that you better listen to the AJ Bruno Show. <laughs> it's coming up next. Broadcasting from a secret underground bunker, deep behind enemy lines, one of the last few voices of reason is on this. Is the AJ Bruno Show on um, now?
0: Hey everyone, we're uh, back with a new episode of the AJ Bruno Show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you got the chance to catch us at our other new uh, other time slot um, on Wednesdays now uh, at oh, 10 Eastern. Yeah. So, I hope you can tune in and be on twice a week now, an hour each. So, two hours a week is all we ask. That's it. Um, <clears throat> so, we're back. Uh, it's March 15th, so beware the eyes of March. It goes for you, President Barack Hussein Obama. Beware the eyes of March. Anyway. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. If you want to call in uh, sometime after the memo, the number is 347-308-8073. Feel free to call in, and as usual, let me know uh, what's on your mind. Okay, well, like I said, we have a lot to touch on this episode. Let's start with this whole uh, global warming thing, which we discussed uh, in-depth beforehand. I'm looking at this article right now, and uh, that's why this is on my mind today. The title is Northeast U.S. to Suffer Most from Future Sea Rise," And, of course, the article goes on to cast all this doom and gloom, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, wow, this is just fear-mongering. Anyone who thinks it's anything but fear mongering is so vastly misinformed and so misled. I mean, it's just downright wrong that people would try and push this stuff. And now it's reached the point where if you deny that this vast Uh, expansive man-made climate change is occurring. And now they're calling it climate change more than global warming because you know, with record cold winters, you really can't call it global warming. Although sometimes they do, but it just shows how completely ignorant they are. Um, But anyway, so they call it climate change. Now, isn't isn't that uh, what's supposed to happen? Haven't there been times in our history where we've had climate change? There's been ice ages before. And actually we're reaching a point in history where there's been a period of warming for a few thousand years and it's supposed to be cooling down. So maybe that's part of our natural climactic cycle. You know? Um, And then, like, to to write things like this, um, something by... They say in this article, for instance, The supposed scientific study, if you want to call it that, um, (laughs) which is more like a uh, propaganda study, because that's all it is. It's left-wing radical propaganda. Um, They say in this study that you should add an extra eight inches or so for New York, Boston, and other spots along the coast from the Mid-Atlantic to New England. Because of predicted changes in ocean currents, and that Not only that, but add that eight inches onto an additional two or three of, of sea rise globally by 2100, and that we're going to have you know uh, Gulf-type hurricanes up and in, up into uh, you know the mid-Atlantic, and up to New England. And we'll see that happening, and the ice, the ice caps are melting faster than expected in the North Pole and the South Pole. <sighs> And, and, and they still they – still, not only do they push this whole climate change thing, but they still insist that the climate is warming, and it's getting warmer. Well, if it's getting warmer, then why do we see record cold winters? You know? I thought it was ironic uh, a few weeks ago when you had all these protesters protesting to do something about climate change, about global warming. And so they all go down to Washington on one of the coldest days of winter. And it's snowing, too. And it's snowing. How ironic is that? It just shows the pure hypocrisy of these people. Anyone who anyone who goes and advocates this is not a mainstream scientist. There's lots of mainstream scientists who say this is nonsense, thousands of them. But people like Al Gore trying to make us think that it's a consensus. You know, the, the, the debate is over. You know, there was this guy. Um, Somebody thanked was that the other week, and so we wanted to debate him on this whole issue of uh, global warming, and he you refused to. Saying that it's not really up for debate, that it's, you know, it's a fact. Well, no, it's not. It's not a fact at all. And people I mean, there are a lot of people claim they're conservatives and buy into this. Why? It's what the liberals want you to do. They try and feed the public this pure BS, and a lot of people buy it, unfortunately. But anyone with half a brain should be able to look at the evidence. And realize it's all it's nonsense. I was open to it first. I saw Al Gore's stupid movie, and not only is it a uh, the world's longest boring PowerPoint presentation, but it's so biased and so obviously propaganda. It's you know it's like watching one of these old uh uh know Soviet propaganda films. They like have all their workers to work, and everyone looks happy and Obviously, if, if, you, if you don't act like you are, then they're going to kill you. It's the same sort of thing. That's a, this, the sick mentality that people are buying into. And now uh, our great, glorious leader wants to push for push for this whole uh, cap-and-trade thing, which is a scam. That's all it is. It's a scam. So you're going to hurt our economy by capping the emissions on carbon, which is not even a pollutant. It, it's if it wasn't so serious what they're doing, it would be laughable. Really, carbon and a pollutant. When it comprises so much of our atmosphere, and when you look at the figures, the amount of carbon that we've actually put into the atmosphere is minuscule. And if there is any sort of change going on, which, you know, then it's so, so, so tiny, Nothing, nothing like what they're trying to say. You know? It's just, it's just sad that people buy into this. I mean, if you're a conservative out there, or if you're, if you're a liberal, whatever, if you think you can defend this whole global warming thing, then let me know. Three four seven three zero eight eight zero seven three. Because I've gotten so many arguments over this, debates over this. I and mean, you can you can't back it off. How can you back that off? It's not happening. This is probably, I don't think it's stretching it by saying that this is the greatest hoax in the history of the world. It really is. Because when, when else have you gotten probably you know, a, a majority of the population to believe in this? I mean, think of that, folks. Is that sad or what? That people just blindly listen to this left-wing propaganda and they heat it up. I'm not even challenging. It. It's, if it's if it's fact, you know? It's like, because they, they say it, these, these radicals say it, that it must be true. You know, they'll show some phony facts, or they'll have, like, Al Gore, when he went that stupid thing, and kept going up and showing how the temperature's spiking. Um, you know, and it's like, uh, people say, haven't there been warming periods in history? Well, yes, there have. But, you know, look at the... This wall, this little spot compared to this, then goes up like 20 feet, and says it's still off the charts. Well, yeah, if you want to try and uh, trick people with your fancy graphics and your big, uh, faulty, and misleading spikes on charts, sure, but it's not happening. It's not happening. I mean, you have, you have people who are not remotely qualified to say anything about this. I remember reading, reading, I think it was last year. Prince Charles said, uh, you know, if we don't do something to uh, stop global warming in the next 18 months, it'll be too late. <laughs> As if he's an authority on the climate. You know? I had to listen to stuff in an astronomy class. Like, what that that's with astronomy? There's nothing to do with astronomy. I had to listen to this in, in uh, world politics class last year. I mean, it's just all over the place, trying to get you to be- people to believe in this. It's just not true. You know? You're not going to call a spade a spade. If something that's just complete nonsense, And this should be our top priority, like, 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 uh, like uh, President uh, Barack Hussein Obama thinks. You know? He thinks that this whole climate issue should be one of our top priorities. You even have crazy liberals, uh, Pelosi and stuff, saying that this is the defining issue of our time, the most important issue of our time. You know, last time I checked, the most important issue of our time was stopping these radical fundamentalist Islamists who want us to either one, accept Sharia law, or two, die. That's it. Yeah. Um, let's see. A imaginative, uh, falsely concocted climate thing, or a real threat that we've actually seen on many occasions, whether it's the bombings of the barracks in Beirut that killed 200 plus Americans, the first World Trade Center bombings, you know the embassies in Tanzania, Kenya, Tanzania, 9/11. Uh, these terrorists, killed, you know, murdering thousands of our troops and thousands of more civilians in Iraq and such. That's the threat. That's what we have to confront. Is it, I mean, you know, am I, am I crazy to think that? When we see a real threat that's actually proven, that we actually have concrete evidence for, that that should be our top priority, not this climate issue, which doesn't exist. It doesn't. I mean, look, I'm not saying let's go and destroy the environment. But there's a difference between being environmentally conscious and then taking it to an extreme and not, not doing it for environmental reasons, but doing it for political gain. And that's what they're doing. This is being done for political gain. Nothing more. That's all it's about for these people. And it's really sad. I mean, it really is. Because they, don't, they care less about actual science. And that's just like the whole underground extensile research we discussed on. Um, we discussed that last week. Um, last episode it's never about science for these people it's about political ideology and partisanship that's it if something is politically expedient if they can use it to their advantage you know people can say what they want about President Bush but the man pretty much stuck to his convictions you know he was real he was real And yes, yes, I I agree with my listener who just sent a message saying that it's not about protecting America, it's not controlling America. That's true. That's all they've ever been about, controlling America. They want complete control over everything. Over everything. Whether it's economic, um, whether it's militarily, although they hate the military, but that's another that's another story. Uh whether it's societal, societally, they want control of every aspect of this country. And they won't stop, they won't rest until they get it. That's what this whole uh government takeover nonsense is. You know, people laugh when you we try and say that we're heading towards socialism for instance but really we are we are because we have the government now who's just given nonsensical amounts of money to all these different companies socializing banks and such. And this is all part of this larger agenda. The more they control, the more of their agenda they can push. If you have these major corporations in your back pocket who are desperate for money, like let's talk about this whole, uh, the you know, bailout with the big three. Now, since the big three needs money from the government to restructure and survive, pretty much, if they try and push this this whole uh, you know, emission, these emission limits, well, yeah, what are they gonna say? No. know, <laughs> it'll cripple, it'll, it'll make more jobs go away, it'll hurt the economy even more. What are they gonna do? Yeah, you know, they're attacking on all fronts. They are attacking on all fronts. And we have to resist however we can. Because if we don't, what's going to be left in America? Perhaps a very, very, very grim shadow of its former self. That's all. That's all. If you have an opinion on any of this or anything else we'll talk about, uh, call up 347-308-8073. Is the number? I would love to... Yeah, just let me know. Uh, let's stay on this whole topic for now. This whole left leftist conspiracy. Basically take over our country. They to take over a country. That's what it's about. These these people they think that it's America that needs to change. That America that America needs to, you know, join the world. That we've been wrong. We've been wrong alone all along. No, it's they've got it backwards. Yeah, you know, sure America's gone, gone straight times. And sure it's it's imperfect. But but with that said, the fundamentals of this country have always been that should that should still be the end of the world. Yeah? You know, I I'm tired of hearing I'm tired of hearing how we should continue to socialize in our country, for instance. You know, we really have so much that's been socialized between Social Security and Medicare and the public schools and you know, and go on and on and on. But when we really think about it, there's been so much in this country that it's basically been turned into socialism. I mean, it's, it's scary to think about, but it's the truth. It's the truth, and if we don't do something, stop it. Who knows where the whole world is going? Yeah. Well, let's, for instance, this whole healthcare thing. Yeah. You know, some people like to say, you know, well, we're the only country in the Western world who uh, still has capitalist healthcare. You know. Um, have universal health care Well no you shouldn't deny anyone life-saving medical care. I don't think anyone with a soul would do that but here's the problem here's the problem if you get into this whole socialist uh, ideal, if you keep caving into it and you go for universal health care. Where's the incentive for anyone to to try hard? You know? Where's the incentive for for anyone to do well? When when you have the government gonna take care of everything for you. How how is that beneficial to our society? Yeah. You know? So, we're going to have these doctors, for instance. The best doctors are going to be given the same competition as the worst doctors. Well, in our system, one of the things in our system, the worst doctors can't find jobs and they have to find a different job, which is good. Who wants bad doctors? It's better to not have them than have them. They'll do more harm than good. They should be flushed of the system. And that's an effective way to do it. You know? And... That's why, you know, look at Canada, for instance. People like to rave about what's going on in Canada. Well, that's why you have the Canadians who all come down here uh, because of the weight for important essential surgeries. is just so long up there. You know? And, and in general, the U.S. has the best health care. We have the best quality here. So, by universalizing it, you see that quality diminish so much? Do we really want to go down that road? I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea, but yeah, things how do we stop this with the down in power, control gonna be hard because Obama this is one of the top priorities to continue socializing our country Health industry is one of the places which you know it's going to be targeted and so that's just really 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 scary um, let me know what you think three four seven three zero eight 8073 is the number. Okay. Let's continue on this line of thinking before the break. The world in general, particularly most Western nations, well, yeah, most Western nations have just lost their way. That's why they're I mean, like let's let's look at Europe as an example. Europe in general. Well, it's not... <clears throat> I don't think it's too over the top to say that Europe is dying as a continent. Sure, it could be revived. But right now, it's very, unfortunately, the... You know, it's been referred to as the sixth dying man of the world. There fertility rates are just so low that the population is going to keep decrease, you know, decrease eventually. And you have these socialist systems so entrenched in these countries people aren't realizing that the liberal social policies which have led to this are going to backfire on that because as you have these older, they feel getting older. You have smaller and smaller younger generations. Who's going to take care of them? You know, who's going to keep these economies running? It's scary. It really is scary. And that leads into the, the whole idea of all these. You know, Muslim immigrants that are coming in there now, and if these people—anyone who has a sense over there doesn't want to be dependent on that. And if you're dependent on people from the Middle East to North Africa to come in there and supplement your workforce, they aren't—they aren't, they aren't going to come in there. It's not like the United States, where by and large, yeah, the immigrants who have come in here have, until recent decades, had adop- adapted pretty well to the. The country, you know, and you don't have this fundamental difference. When you had, we had massive waves of Irish and Italian and Eastern Europeans um, coming over here. Well, you know, while there were some differences to the predominantly Anglo-Saxon population, the differences weren't that great because everyone had similar ideals. It's these western ideals that really that really allow different peoples to meld together. Yeah. And what was great about this country was that you yeah, had people spoke all different languages, all different cultures, customs, food foods, whatever. But everyone came here. And not only did you have a unify unified one unitary state, but in addition to that, you have, com- you have the most cosmopolitan country in the world. But and, and this is one of the you know, unique, unique place where that's been possible. Yeah, to an extent in other in some other countries, but not IKEA. And it's definitely not possible when you have a complete polar opposite to that. Like, like let's say you know you had mostly Protestants in this country, some Catholics, some Jews, mostly Protestants. Then you have a lot of these immigrants, you know, a lot of Catholic immigrants coming up. Well, yeah, there's some complicated Protestants and Catholics, true, but the basic fundamentals of the beliefs of all these people are the same. Everyone wanted, you know, for the most part, wanted Western democracy. Everyone respected the Judeo-Christian foundations of our state, its heritage, That's not the same in Europe when you have all these Muslims. I mean, there's roughly 50 million Muslims in the continent. That's a massive number. That's a massive number. And maybe there are some secular Muslims. And maybe there are some who come there and convert to some Christian faith and become part of the country. I'm sure that's true in some cases, but by and large, that's not the case. It's not. So, these people want to convert these these European nations, which once had a proud history of being strong in the face of evil, of having strong moral traditions, of having strong Capitalist countries where people can thrive and swim on their own. But if these people come in here preaching these radical Islamist views, advocating for Sharia law, that's not compatible. That would fundamentally change the entire face of the continent. That's dangerous. You know, read America alone. I've talked about it before. You could just you can get the you can to go to the colors. The, uh, the moon and crescent and a Muslim flag all over the world, except the United States. And even that's a question if the United States can survive and be can of freedom and hope in the world. But even if we can, do we really want to be alone? Do we really want to be an island of of liberty and a sea of of tyranny and of authoritarianism? Of, Do we really want that? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. And if we we allow that to happen, then shame on us. We have to revive this Western tradition, these great traditions which have made our heritage so great. And if we don't, and future generations are sure to regret it. All right. Well, we're going to go to a liberal wisdom timeout in a second. Uh, Continuing on this line of thought after the break, we'll talk about some of uh, Vice President Cheney's comments also. Be happy to take your calls. uh, 347-308-8073 is the number. Give me a call. Uh, For those of you just listening for the first time, we sometimes have a liberal wisdom timeout, which is basically you have to hear me the whole show. You know, take three minutes or so. Um, invite a different uh, prominent liberal on to come in and tell you, you know, give you a little piece of their wisdom. You know, you hear conservative views the whole episode. You hear some liberal ones still. I'm just being, you know, fair and balanced here, trying to have my own little fairness doctrine. Anyway, uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes now. So Stay tuned and listen. Uh, okay, we have Bill Clinton today. So, Bill, take it away.
1: Hello, this is former President Bill Clinton. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Mr. Bruno, for having me on the show. <clears throat> Once again, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Now, uh, I want to talk about my my wonderful, beautiful wife, Hillary, as many of you know, uh, she just uh, started her new job as Secretary of State, and I tell you, it could not be working out better. Not only is she on the road all the time, but I'm free to have all the wild parties here at home that I can, and, and Hillary can't stop me. This is great. I tell you, it couldn't be better. She's on the road literally all the time, <clears throat> and I know I know, we were upset when she didn't get the nomination, but this worked out so well. Thank you so much, bro That was so, so no, nice of you, I knew you'd get me. Now anyway, what I really want to talk about is to invite y'all up here to our place in New York, to have just a grand old time. Cause I tell you, with Hillary not here, I'm able to have quite a bit more fun. You know, maybe we'll, uh, have a few brewskis, and uh, who knows what else. And then we'll have, uh, McDonald's afterwards. And let me tell you, I still love McDonald's. I know I can't just drive there or jog there like I did. <coughs> When I was president all the time. Uh, Let me tell you, it was great. They knew me by name. And they knew exactly what I was going to order. Everything. It was fantastic. So now I have time for my two favorite pastimes. McDonald's will be one of them. And I'm sure you can guess what the other one is. I can't say exactly because Hillary might be listening. You never know. Anyway, thank you so much for hearing what I have to say, and, uh, hopefully Rock wins another four years, because eight years of this would be fantastic. I'm a free man, I can do what I want. This cannot be better. Well, I better let you get back to that, that, uh, guy who's part of that vast right wing conspiracy, <laughs> so, uh, you can go back and... Go listen to that crap although I personally am not a very big fan of this right-wing nonsense all right now I better hurry and not waste any more time with Hillary not here thank you very much
0: all right uh, thank you to former President Clinton for that Uh, that was interesting I'm glad he's uh, supportive of his wife's new job Uh, good for him okay Anyway, uh, let's get back to what we were talking about before. If you're just tuning in, uh, you want to call up and talk about anything we've discussed, anything that's on your mind, 347-308-8073 is the studio number. So give me a call. All right, let's get back to this this whole issue here. If you're just tuning in, I was discussing uh, this whole problem of socialism uh, how it's taking root in our country, how it's corrupting, it's rotting our country at the core, and how it's already done that in Europe. Yeah, you know? and the difference, the differences that we have, you know, we saw that made our country great with the ways of immigrants that came in here, and how these Muslim immigrants are not doing the same thing in Europe. But you know, now it's not it's not politically correct to say anything about. Islam. Like, all right, I'm not a... People try and and throw, you know, the word figure around, or what's the word now? Islamophobia. (laughs) Um, Or, if they're really stupid and don't know what the word means, they'll say racist, which doesn't make any sense at all because that's not a race, but I'm sure you've heard that before. I don't hate Muslims. However, Islam itself isn't compatible with Western tradition. All right, why don't we go to the phones, uh, let's see, hello, caller, you're on the air, how's it going? Uh, which, am I on? Oh, yes, you're on.
2: Oh, okay, I didn't know which uh, area code, the uh, how's it going? Hello?
0: Yes, what's on your mind?
2: Oh, yeah, I just uh, was calling... Um, yeah, I've heard you, know, you mentioned or you're part of the discussion around uh, socialism, and I was just wondering if you could uh, maybe explain uh, to the listeners out there uh, what it is that you and or conservatives specifically mean when you use the term socialism, and if you could answer that through the lens of um, uh describing that through George Bush's actions as president in 2003 when he expanded. Uh, he actually had led and initiated and signed the, the largest expansion of Medicare um, since, uh, it, it, since its inception in, two, in 1965 uh, with the introduction of Medicare Part D and with the expansion of uh, benefits payable under Medicare Part A and B. So it's uh yeah, yeah, it just seems to me to be you know, rather ironic that conservatives are beating the drums around this current health care debate around you know, using the, the, the fear-mongering word of socialism when, in fact, George Bush led the largest expansion of that entitlement program of any president since Johnson signed it into law in, in 1965.
0: Now, would you consider yourself a
2: liberal? Uh, I would consider myself to be a moderate. A moderate, I see.
0: Uh but you voted for
2: Obama, am I correct? I'm sorry? Uh, yes I mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Okay. I figured. First now, well first time I voted voted Democrat in in thirty years. So yeah. I'm not sure what you would figure by that, but uh I, I would take that as there not being much much to offer in terms of the conservative side and and uh I think Obama was was uh was of of the choices available was the one that was uh uh, kind of, uh, I think more in tune with uh, with the American society But but anyway, back to my question
0: as it relates to socialism Well, we didn't nominate a conservative, that's the problem But anyway, I'll, I'll address your question Well, look, I've said this before I don't agree with everything President Bush did I'm sure he made mistakes That was probably one of those, an expansion of government But by and large, if you look at what President Bush did during his administration compared to what Obama's done and what he's trying to do now, there was no comparison. There was no comparison. I mean, you're talking
2: of, eight years versus six weeks or seven weeks. I mean, you I say did say do done more in,
0: You could say he's done more in these seven weeks because he laid the groundwork for basically massively undermining the foundation of our, our society, the, the foundation of our economy. How oh, so? How so? Uh, let's see. Passing this ridiculous, spendulous bill, for one, um, he's ex- you know he tries to say that you know well, we we don't need a uh, good government or bad government. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Not, I mean we don't need smaller government or big government. That's an argument to the past. We need good government. Well, good government's not good when it involves socializing our entire country and basically saying. Uh, you know, the government's job is to take care of you. You don't have to do anything. We'll do everything for you. Nobody has to contribute to our country at all. That's the whole. That's what I was talking about before. That's the whole mentality they have over in Europe. You know, and if we do that, we're going to end up the same way. That's not good. That's not but, but
2: good. But what what programs, I guess, are being socialized? I guess that's what I'm trying to get into, understand the specifics of what, what, what specifically is is. Socialism, would that be be the bailout of of AIG and Citigroup back during the third and fourth quarter of last year where the government stepped into private enterprise to use taxpayer-funded dollars to to bail out those organizations or would it have have been wiser to allow uh, Citibank or Citigroup and AIG in this example to actually fail, which would have taken the entire economy down... Substantially deeper into a rat hole that uh, that would have cost taxpayers substantially more money. Well, these and
0: are all steps part, uh,
2: because that was government involvement in 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 one could argue uh, in a socialistic type of way, but it was sure. done by Republicans, you know, because it was re- it was necessary. I mean, it was. I mean, this is almost a, an economic war, as Warren Buffett claimed that you know you've got to pull you know throw everything in the kitchen sink at it to try to make sure that you don't lose the war, which would be disastrous
0: for this country. These are all steps in the wrong direction. Well, let me ask you this. So you you disagree with something President Bush did. But as someone who voted for Obama, what exactly do you think he's going to change? What's going to be so different and majestic and, you know, back to the age of Camelot? What's going to be so great now?
2: Well, I would say first and foremost, I think people who are looking to judge change in the last couple weeks—you I mean, have to clean up. You know, a lot of the time and energy and focus is—I'm sure you can, you've recognized—has been cleaning up the mess that we're in. Um, so it's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be hard to you know to look and see, gee, how much change in seven weeks can you accomplish when you've inherited a substantial rat hole that we're in? But I would say just the you know, from what I've seen so far, just the dialogue. You know the fact that he's, you know, he's brought you know, Republicans and Democrats together into uh, the room. Whether it was talking about the health care debate, you know, and in starting that, you know, when you look at the lineup and the roster of the people who attended the health care summit or the economic summit that took place, it was very much of a bipartisan uh, uh, list or roster of, of, of folks who are invited into the conversation, and that in and of itself. Is a dramatic change not only from Bush, but also, you know, frankly, a dramatic change from Clinton as well. Um, you know, the fact that trying to open up and have those types of conversations, um, you know, is something we haven't seen, you know, frankly, since, you know, you go back to, you know, almost the Harry Truman days. Um, but uh, so, you know, in terms of the last seven weeks, what 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 change I've seen, I would start with that.
0: So, do you think he should sit down? in the Oval Office and, you know, talk it over with uh, President Ahmadinejad, for instance?
2: Uh, sure, why not? Why
0: not?
1: So we well, should I wouldn't sit say down necessarily in the
2: Oval Office, but I, 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 I think that having conversations, um, you know, and, and having dialogue, I would think that as, as an American, again, regardless of whether you slant you're to the left or to the right, that, A common goal shared amongst all would be to not have a World War III, to not have. So if, if, you know, if, you know, that is one of the tools in the arsenal is to have direct dialogue, why wouldn't you want to do everything you can possibly do to avoid, you know, a, you know, a world disaster, a potential World War III? I mean, wouldn't you as president want to be able to look into that camera, into that you know, as you're sitting there in the Oval Office and you're, you're you're addressing the American people, wouldn't you want to be able to look in that camera and know with and, and be able to say with complete conviction that in your heart and your mind you knew that you did everything you could possibly do so that's, to avoid that's, a war and to try to you know try to stabilize the Middle East? And, and if that and if that means having a conversation with you know uh, having a, some direct discussions with the Iranian government, then why wouldn't you want to do that?
0: Well, that's what the appeasers did back in the '30s, and we know how well that worked out with Hitler. You, you, okay. you, you That's what all the appeasers did back in the '30s, and we know how well that that worked out with Hitler.
2: Look. Well, you're talking about Neville Chamberlain, and I wouldn't really call that being appeasers. I mean, I think that part of the deal was is that they wanted to avoid a direct fight and conflict, because remember at that time, you know, Germany had the entire British Isles surrounded by U-boats, and was running ramshod through you know through through Europe. So, you know, where I I don't sense at this point that that Obama is is fearing that, you know, the entire United States is surrounded by, you know, Iranian missiles and you know we're we're kind of being submissing because of, you know, an appeared threat or concern that we're about to be run over. I think it's just a it's an opportunity to uh um you know to use one of the tools in the arsenal uh, diplomacy and trying to see if diplomacy works with the you know with the with the hard uh the hard fist why not
0: try it well you yeah. can you can try diplomacy to an extent, but some people are just downright insane and have beliefs that they're going to act on regardless so how can you negotiate with somebody who already has their intentions planned i'm you know okay, well, i'm let sure me ask
2: you, let me let me ask you this um did you think did you think about uh, you know because you know we we're, we're, we're sitting here kind of talking thing, through things in an American lens or through an American lens um, you have I'm a you have the the Iranians that certainly have supported Hezbollah and Hamas and so forth, um, and haven't directly engaged you know Israel in terms of a, a war within Israel. in fact, Iran's last war was against Iraq and Saddam. Uh, one that w- in which we supported the Iranians back in the 1980s, uh, where we supported the Iraqis against the Iranians. But that was the last war that they've actually been in. Um, yet through, you know, through the Iranian lens or through a Middle Eastern lens, how do you think Middle Easterners, or in fact others around the world, look at the actions that the, Amer- that the U.S. took in Iraq, You know, where we actually invaded the a country based on you know what we developed as evidence that was contrary to what the IAEA had had suggested was in fact the case when they were telling people that weapons of mass destruction didn't what didn't exist. But uh, we went we invaded anyway. I mean do you think that it's plausible that others around the world, including those in Iran, look at the US as being an
0: aggressor? Here's the problem, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking Is were we justified in doing it And my answer is yes There were weapons of mass destruction Maybe he didn't have them right then But we found evidence that he had them We had found evidence that he violated 17 UN resolutions over 12 years The fact was Regardless You know you can look back and second guess now I think it was the right call to do it And I'll still say it was the right call to do it And the question is now Is the world better off without Saddam Hussein And the answer is yes Well what's
2: the evidence of that
0: What's the evidence of that? Yeah, uh, the evidence look, up of the, the look up the Santorum Hockstra uh, press release. It lists a whole lot of evidence that came out a few years ago. And let's talk, I'll, I'll address this whole issue with the world. A lot of the world just doesn't get it. And if you're talking about the Middle East at large, uh, a lot of these nations are ones that want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth like Ahmadinejad wants to. These aren't people we should be trying to win the approval of. The question is, did we do what was best for the world, best for America, for freedom and liberty, and well, the or answer is yes. For us.
2: Don't. And, and, and don't you think that that is—that's precisely the point that has put America, and actually, has been the greatest risk to our national security. Look, go back. You know, what you can do is <clears throat> look at how much, how much we have uh, during the Bush administration that the Chinese government bought into America in terms of holding our T-bills. Mm-hmm. Their foreign investment is is about three and a half to four trillion dollars, of which almost two trillion dollars is they're holding U.S. debt. So in essence, you know, and and the way this thing, so we we scream and we you know we 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 had our little run up with with uh, the Chinese Navy and uh, in the South China Sea last week. <clears throat> and you know we, we scream and jump up and down around hu- about human rights and so forth and Chinese violations of human rights because they don't live up to our standards and so forth. Yet at the same point we've become beholden to the Chinese and we've actually created that 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 stronger enemy because the fact that that we now have the Chinese in essence is our largest creditor, which is why you know the the, when the Chinese president last Monday rattled U.S. markets. Which is why I took a dive when he said that they were they were getting very nervous about our ability to pay back the debt, you know, that we own. Which has now created opened up markets in China, China where Americans are buying flat panel TVs, Americans are buying all kinds of electronic devices, and pretty much uh, apparel and everything that you buy is made in China. <clears throat> We've created this. You know it, what started with a, a a policy that was based on uh, you know what was in the U.S. best interest now has created you know and strengthened you know what, the the country that's likely our biggest potential threat long term, which is the Chinese. And with yeah. and and it's like you're living in there it's like we're all living in their house. They're the mortgage company. They own us. <laughs> <laughs> so. That, those are what the policies in the last eight years have created in, in terms of it trying to you know do what's in our what we, solely what's our, in our best interest and not really thinking about things on a global basis and global perspective
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean which is which has put us into a position where again we're owned by the chinese
0: i, I you know I have to agree with you on that point however, the problem with with that is you know, we should, have, we should have confronted China a long time ago. We should have listened to MacArthur when he said, you yeah, know, we're going to have to fight them sooner or later. Why not do it now? China he wanted to cross at-
2: the Yalu River. He was absolutely, you know, and he was stopped. You know, mm-hmm. he was, he was st- stopped. But absolutely, MacArthur knew at that point when he had the, the military amassed along the Yalu River where he could have crossed it and gone Here's after the- China, particularly when the Chinese had slaughtered thousands of Americans on behalf of the North Koreans during the Korean exactly. War. Exactly. But
0: here's the underlying problem. We have so many enemies in this world, so many threats, and we have to find a way to deal with them because we can't let evil just sit there and gather and grow because then we're going to see massive wars that result in millions of people dying. We're going to see more genocide. We're going to see all these things. I mean, look, history seems to be a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. And people never get it, but sometimes you really just got to stand up and you want to fight for what you believe in. And if we don't do that, you know who's to say uh, we're not going to see another Holocaust? We're not going to see another uh, world war where millions of people, military and civilians, die. You know, if we don't, if we don't do something about this. You know, what if what if, uh, I wrote, what, what if Iran, what if Iran gets a nuke, and they want to send it off to Israel? Are we going to allow that to happen? What if that situation? Even if there was a, the tiniest chance that would happen, shouldn't we do everything that we have to to stop it?
2: Well, which is why answering to your question before about would you speak with Ahmadinejad? Why not? He, 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 precisely what you just said. Shouldn't we try to do everything we can possibly do to try to stop it? So, I mean, do we yeah. really want Israel and Iran to be firing missiles back and forth to each other? How does that help the world? It just further destabilizes a very unstable uh, region of the country or region of the world. So why wouldn't you want to try to potentially talk to them if 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 fallout fails, and that doesn't mean you just do that, you know, in a consecutive manner where you don't have concurrent strategies taking place, where you have military deterrence, you know, strategies in place, et cetera. But why, why not talk, or or potentially use that as a tool of diplomacy? Hmm. You know, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's an opportunity. But you know, I, I think our biggest threat comes from within. Comes from within the United States. And that is an economic threat, because you know, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't think what either side left or right- leaning folks have leveled with truly leveled with the American people is dealing with you know issues like health care uh you know with Medicare, with Medicaid, with well, social security. You look at the you know the, the significant challenge that we're having today financially. And we haven't even gotten into the Alt A or option ARM crisis. And for your listeners out there who don't know what those two things are, is they, you, know, you had uh, the current housing crisis is an $800 billion problem. There's a $1.2 trillion problem tied up in option ARMs and Alt A's, which in essence were people who were buying uh, buying houses at 1% introductory rate mortgage. And then after a period of three years to five years, depending on the loan structure, the interest rate jumps from 1% up to like 6% or 7%. 60% of those loans today are already delinquent or in default. And yet the, re- the, re- the reset period, meaning the jumping from 1% up to 5% or 6%, the, 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 the first loans start resetting this coming September. And you already have 60% of the loans that are already delinquent or in default before they even raise the interest rate. So you raise the interest rate, it's going to drive it even, you know, a much much bigger problem. Yeah. So you've got that issue. You've got Medicare and, and healthcare that has to get fixed um, because yeah. today it's 16% of GDP. By 2020, it's 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 going to be uh, 29% of GDP. You got Social Security that comes at the same time where the baby boomers are, are now retiring. And, you know, you've got two-thirds of American adults are working, supporting the other third. Over the next 10 years, that, that shifts, where it's only one-third working, supporting the two-thirds that are retired. So you, you're going to have a much lower taxable base, revenue base, in, in income stream, if you will, from a tax revenue perspective, but you're taking care of substantially more people who are in a Medicare program at a time when the baby boomers have the worst personal savings rate since they started keeping track of that back in 1900, and they're substantially less healthy with chronic conditions like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, COPD, cetera. So a combination of the people are living longer because of the advances of medicine, but they're living longer with, with very costly chronic conditions, and yet they don't have, they haven't saved up the money to pay their bill. At a time where you've got only one third of adults working supporting the other two two thirds who are retired, and at the same point you've got the social security bubble that's taking yeah. place on top of all the existing debt that we're now accumulating to get out of these financial crises.
0: Yeah, let I me mean, uh, first. You're point. not going to have yeah. the
2: ability to be able to to handle those things unless you completely overhaul the way that the United States is structured today, and unfortunately. Mm-hmm you know, as I mentioned, this is the first time I've voted Democrat for Obama. I've been a Republican all my life, is mm-hmm. that just reducing taxes isn't going to be enough because we're already, in 1980, the top tax bracket was 70%. We're down to 35% now. If you've only got, you've got substantially fewer people working and you lower their taxes, you're not going to be generating anywhere close to enough of revenue to be able to pay for defense, to be able to pay for... You know, whatever you know, the Medicare obligations, Social Security obligations, et cetera. So we've got to—I don't know what the answer is, but it's got to be—you got to completely overhaul the system that we're that we we currently have because it's this bubble that's not going to go away. We're in the middle of the baby boomer retirement stream coming in about in about nine or ten about nine years from now.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, uh, thanks for your call. I uh, hope you keep listening.
2: Hey, definitely will. Hey, good show though. Appreciate uh, you having me. Thanks.
0: Yeah, no problem. All right. Uh, thank you to the caller. Uh, you know, we take all calls here, liberals, conservatives, moderates, whatnot. Uh, all right, we have a few minutes left here. Uh, let me touch on this real quickly here. Look, the economy is an important issue, obviously. Um, and we do need to address all of that. But defense is number one. We don't have a country if we can't defend ourselves. We have to do whatever we have to in order to keep this country safe. And to me, that, that will always be the top priority. Our national security must come first. It must come first. There really is no way out of it. I wanted to mention Vice President Cheney's comments recently, uh, briefly. We have a few minutes left in the show. Uh, He said that, uh, you know, the policy that Obama's engaging in is dangerous, and it's leaving America more vulnerable. I think that's true. I think that is very, very true. Um, You know, say what you, you know, a lot of people have some strong opinions about Cheney, but I think I'm, when it comes to defense, he is clearly spot on. And we should definitely heed his words. And it's, it, behoo, it behooves us not to. It behooves us not to. Uh, all right, well, we're kind of running out of time here. Uh, okay, so we're now on Sunday and Wednesdays. Uh, Sundays 5 to 6, Wednesdays 10 to 11 uh, Eastern. So, hope you guys listen on Wednesday. Come back on Sunday and listen. Um, you know, send me a, a friend request, uh, favorite me, that would be great. I don't know if I'm going to change some more with the time slot. It seems like more people listen closer to six. So, let me know um, what you guys think. I'm still, still working at this, trying to figure out when everyone can listen, participate most often. Um, so, hey, let you let your friends know about the show. We'll be back on Wednesday and then again on Sunday. Um mean, we might expand the show a bit after that. So stay tuned. Uh, keep listening. Thanks. Appreciate uh appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh so let's come back here next time. We could all laugh at the liberals together and set down their arguments. But you know we love to hear from hear from everybody on the show, you know, regardless. I think it's just great to talk about these issues, you know. Yeah, I'm a conservative and I agree I disagree strongly with a lot of these policies of the current administration. But if we don't talk about it, what are we gonna do? And, you know, thanks to everyone for the for the comments. Um hey, you know, let your friends know, like I said. Keep listening in. Let's get this show growing. Uh, we've got about a minute left here, so. Uh you know, this is this is where it all where it all starts. Um, it's great to hear from everybody. I really And, you know, if you haven't called in yet, call in the next show. Uh, you know, participate. We're not quite at the, the Rush Limbaugh status yet, so you're not going to hear... Millions of people aren't going to hear you. So you have to be... I know some people have a bit of a stage fright when it comes to that. I don't know. Uh, I always like to be loud and proud with my conservative beliefs. So that's just the way I am. Anyway, thanks again, everyone. It's been fun. Uh, tune in Wednesday at 10 and, again, Sunday at 5 next weekend. Um, you know, and send me an email if you want. Live um, Radio, LordAJ, L-O-R-D-A-J-A-Y, Yahoo.com. Join our Facebook group. Thanks a lot, everyone, have a great day. I'll see you later.